Well, I've got some good news for you this morning. That, of course, is the name of this uh, Lenten worship series that we're in together. I've got good news for you. And it's a time where there's just so much bad news out there. I mean, all this virus stuff, politics, climate change, divisions across our country, the fact that there's no more sports right now, all of that. We all probably could use some good news right now. And, and so Lent comes at just the right time. Because Lent is a season where we reflect on the hard news that brings good news. The hard news that Jesus died a horrible death on an awful cross, but the good news that he rose from the dead so that you and I could be forgiven and cleansed, made brand new. The biblical word for good news is gospel. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus. And Lent is filled with a bunch of stories from the, his last days, including stories, of course, of the cross and the resurrection that we'll get to but also other stories that help us understand that good news. And today's story is one of those. So we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. If you brought your own Bibles, feel free to look them up. We kind of pulled the Bibles from the worship center for the time being. Um, But obviously the words will be on the screen. But if you have your own Bibles, feel free. Luke 19, 41 through 44. And like I said, the words will be on the screen. Stand with me and I'll read them. And again, this is a story from the last weeks of Jesus' life. It goes like this. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace, but now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize that it did not recognize it when God visited you. My friends, those hard words are the word of the Lord. Thank you, God, for that word that you give us. Thank you for this story passed along in some form in the gospels to us today. And we're grateful. Teach us from it, we pray. Amen. Have a seat. I'm I'm not what you would call a risk junkie. You know what I mean by a risk junkie? I'm not one of those people who loves to do uh, high adventure things. Like I have a, a friend of mine whose wife literally describes herself as somebody who loves to climb peaks and jump out of planes. She is the dictionary definition of a risk junkie, but that's, that's not me. Now, I'm not adverse to risk at all, unless the risk involves the possibility that I might feel pain in my body. I am not a fan of pain, Thus, I'm not a fan of putting myself in a position of feeling pain. Now, I have done some risky things in my life. Let's see, dangerous things that I've done. Um, I got lost once on foot in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. That was crazy. I had a potentially dangerous encounter in the old city in Jerusalem. If you want to hear that story someday, it, it was nuts. 
One time I fell out of the back of a two-person whitewater raft in class five rapids. Went right off the back, which meant that I took a whole set of rapids on my own. Feet in the air with nothing between my precious body and those shop rocks except for a whole lot of cold, wa- uh, cold water. But those, you know, those are things that just happened to me. Those, I didn't go seeking those adventures risks for fun. However, the most dangerous thing I've ever done, without any doubt, is have kids. Why? Because when our kids hurt, we hurt, right? When, I, when our kids are at risk, we're at risk. And if you don't believe that, let me just ask you to either remember or imagine this scenario. Your, your just-turned-16-year-old child with their newly-minted driver li- driver's license in one hand and their hot little other hand out holding out for you for keys to a car that they intend to drive away by themselves to who knows where without you sitting next to them giving them instructions. Now, that's terrifying. I'd rather face a root canal than that. And I had to do it three times, not the root canal, the kids. I did root canal once, but I did the kid thing three times. I'd rather have my taxes done, which tells you how much I hated that experience, than deal with that. Anything that puts our kids at risk, we feel at risk, right? Because when they weep, my kids weep, I weep. And I bet if you have kids or grandkids, you're the same. I mean, moms and dads, I, I bet you know exactly what I'm talking about. So it's with that perspective that I think we can understand what's going on here in this story. The startling story of the last week of Jesus' life describes him weeping. And in fact, some of you I know know that pain very personally because something awful has happened to one of yours. So you especially know exactly why Jesus cried. Give me a little background for the story. In Luke's gospel, this story happens between the clearing of the temple story that Quinn talked about a couple of weeks ago and the triumphal entry story, which God willing, we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, right? It happens between those two stories. Um, the specific incident that Jesus predicted here when he said, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They'll crush you into the ground, your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. That happened in 70 AD, some, I don't know, 37 years or so after Jesus uttered the words we read this morning. The story is, of course, we know that Israel at the time of Jesus was occupied by the Romans. Well, in 66 AD, a group of Jewish zealots took back the city of Jerusalem from the Romans by force. And they held on to it until 70 AD when the Romans finally got sick of it and they sent one of their finest armies led by their soon-to-be emperor Titus and they... They put a siege on the city of Jerusalem. That siege lasted for four months. And when finally the Roman army broke through the walls into Jerusalem, they literally tore the city apart. They did not leave one stone on top of each other. They tore the temple completely down to rubble. And that was the last temple that was ever in Jerusalem. There's still an arch in Rome called the Arch of Titus that celebrates that conquest. So that is what Jesus saw coming. And yet, even though we know the specifics of his prophecy and how it played out, 
I think it's still fair to ask this question. Why was Jesus crying here? I mean, I can only remember one other time in the recorded Gospels of Jesus weeping, even counting him going through his humiliation and the crucifixion. And that was when he stood in front of his friend Lazarus' tomb. Remember that story, right? Jesus' friend Lazarus had died, and Jesus came to see him and his sisters, but he arrived too late to save him. So Jesus stood outside of Lazarus' tomb, and the people around him, all Lazarus' friends and family, were grieving. And when he saw their grief, he was moved to tears. But then he gave Lazarus back his life. He called him out of the tomb alive again. And and I think the same question is good to ask in that situation. Why was Jesus crying? He wasn't crying for Lazarus because he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. So why was he crying? He was crying because for the same reason, I think I would contend, that he cried in this story. He wept because of the pain of his people. In the case of Lazarus, of course, the pain of all these grieving family around him. But in the case of this story that we read this morning, for the pain that he knew was coming for the people of Jerusalem, coming right down the tracks at him. So one answer to the question, I think, why was Jesus weeping is out of love. The text says this, as he came closer to Jerusalem. In my imagination, I'm picturing a spot that my wife and I were at in one of our trips to to Israel that overlooks Jerusalem. It looks something like this. Take a look at it. It looked something really almost exactly like that. So my wife and I are standing at this overlook outside of Jerusalem, looking at this scene, and we're taking pictures of each other, you know, the way you do. And this guy comes up and he says, well, can I take, uh, take your picture for you? And we made the typical tourist mistake of letting him. And the minute we said yes, he pulled this card up with a bunch of costumes in it. And he started putting costumes on us. And then he took his picture, and then his hand was out for a tip. Interesting incident. But anyway, when I see, when I hear Jesus talk about as he came closer to Jerusalem, this is the image that I think about in my mind. So the question is, upon seeing something like this, why did that make Jesus cry? It's because he didn't just see the landscape and the buildings and the trees. He saw a city full of people who God loves. I think Jesus is crying here out of love. I think he's crying because his heart is breaking for those people. He knew the pain that they were soon going to feel some 37 years or so later. And because he loved them, he cried. Maybe you've cried when one of your kids or some other loved one is in pain. I know I have. So the answer, one answer to this question, why was Jesus weeping, is this. He was weeping out of love for them. And I think he weeps out of love for us too. But I also think that Jesus was crying here out of regret. Listen to this line from Jesus. He says, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace, but now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. I don't know if you remember that I said that this story takes place before, or I'm sorry, right after, right around the time where Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. And if you remember what the people said when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, you remember what they cried out? They said, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in highest heaven. So the crowds were about ready to shout peace to Jesus. And Jesus says, I wish you would have understood the way to peace. 
because they didn't. They, they had Jesus, the Prince of Peace, but they wanted a, a military ruler, a, a political ruler instead of a spiritual savior. And so they missed the peace. You know what? I, I suspect if Jesus were to stand on a bluff outside of Omaha, Nebraska today, he might say something similar. You know, in our world today, we're all, we all have something that we are hoping will save us. And I don't just mean like eternal salvation kind of save us, but, but something or someone that we can build our lives upon. I mean, for some people, it's, it's, it's money or pleasure, or for others, it might be person or possessions. But so many people miss the real cornerstone upon which we build our lives, and that has to be Jesus. I think that's the regret that Jesus felt for the people in this story, and it, it moved him to tears. I don't know if you happen to see the story in the news. I mean, the news has been dominated by the virus stuff. But before that, there was a story of Kaylee Wilkes and her beautiful succulent plant. Did you see this story? A succulent plant is sort of like a cactus. So here's a picture of Kaylee's succulent plant. There it is. That's the actual one. She got this plant a couple years before this picture was taken, and she just fell in love with it. She put it in her kitchen window. She watered it. She cleaned its leaves. She wouldn't let anybody else touch it but her. And she did everything she knew to keep this plant alive and well, and it actually it just seemed to flourish. And then one day she was out shopping and she found a pot for her plant. And she said, this is perfect. This pot is a perfect pot for my plant. So she brought it home and it was in the process of changing the plant from the pot she bought it into this new pot that she made a horrible discovery. In fact, here are her words. Kaylee says, I go to pull it, the plant, from the original plastic container it was purchased in only to learn that the plant was fake. I put so much love into this plant. I washed its leaves. I tried my hardest to make it look its best, and it is completely plastic. How did I not know this? When I pulled it from the container, it was sitting on top styrofoam with sand glued to the top. I felt like these last two years have been a lie. And she felt that the last two years have been a lie because, you know, her last two years were a lie, Right? But she's not alone. Anytime we give our lives to anyone or anything that is not Jesus, we end up serving a lie, a fake master, a plastic life. And that's the choice of the peop- that the people of Jerusalem made. When Jesus rode in, they shouted peace. But they had the Prince of Peace in their midst, and they missed him. And that's why he cried. But I also believe that Jesus cried here out of sorrow. Not so much sorrow for what he was about to endure exactly, um, but dread for the pain that was headed for his people. I don't know if you've ever watched your kids or your grandkids make a decision that you knew was a mistake, but you knew you just had to let it happen so that they would learn. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? It's necessary. I mean, I'm not particularly a fan of rescuing kids from every poor choice, so to, but to let them make a choice that you know will hurt them, It's hard. Think what that must be like to be God and watch our lives. Watch my life 
and see terrible decisions that I make and know those decisions are going to cause pain for people around me, pain for me, and yet know that the best thing is just to let it happen. I mean, why not intervene, God? Why not just fix things? Why not prevent me from making those decisions? Because God respects our freedom so much, he's willing to endure the pain by letting us be in pain in order to honor that freedom. And because God is all about the process that leads us to the best we can be. And that process often involves pain. I do believe that when we feel pain, our Heavenly Father, whose love for us is eternal, feels pain too. Romans 8.28 that we read reminds us of that. We know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose for him. God causes even bad things to work together for good. But that journey, it's almost always a painful one. Now, of course, not every painful thing that happens to us is about us learning lessons. Some bad things, some very bad things just happen because we live in a world that's not as it should be. We're in the midst of one of those times right now. This coronavirus thing, this isn't some judgment or lesson from God, but God's still going to find a way, I believe, to bring as much good as he can out of it. But lots, let's face it, lots of life's potholes that we drive into are because the Heavenly Father allows us to, to deal with our own mistakes, to learn and grow. And that must be hard on our Heavenly Father who loves us. I mean, think about this. God could have stopped Titus and the Roman army from sacking Jerusalem, but he didn't. And that willingness to feel pain for our good is one of the greatest proofs that God actually loves us. Love, real love, works for the best of the one who's loved, not for the ease of the person who loves. So I think Jesus was crying here in part out of sorrow for what was they were about to experience, grieving for what was about to happen. So let me ask you a different question this morning. Are you weeping? Are you weeping this morning for yourself? Are you in a painful phase of life, a time of trouble? I mean, for all of us, if there's anything that marks this time we're in right now, it's uncertainty, right? This is a strange time. And if you are in one of those hard times, this story teaches us that Jesus weeps with us. And he does more than weep. Now, Jesus didn't stop Jerusalem's coming destruction, but he did give his life to prevent internal destruction, to make sure that is not inevitable for us. And Jesus is working, even in the midst of our weeping, even in the midst of his weeping, to bring about good in our lives. Now, we we don't see it yet. We never see that clearly when we're stumbling around in the darkness. But Jesus is working to make a better future. Ultimately, he gave his life so we could spend eternity with him. So are you weeping? Are you weeping today for someone who doesn't know the Savior yet? Lent is an excellent time of year to ask an unchurched friend to Easter worship, we hope, or to discuss with them the person of Jesus or, or even the reality of the resurrection. 
I mean, it's so easy, isn't it, to, to silo our church life away from our work life, away from our social life, away from our neighborhood life, whatever. It's so easy, is it, not to think of ourselves as missionaries to this world that Jesus has placed us in, but if we're going to really care for others, we have to make sure our care extends to their need for Jesus in their life. I don't know if you know who these two are. This is Rhett and Link. Anybody know Rhett and Link? Raise your hand if you know Rhett and Link. One. One does. Fist bump to Linda for that. Well, Rhett and Link are YouTube superstars. They have over 16 million subscribers to their channel. They are one of the top YouTube channels in the world. They've become multi-gazillionaires just by having this YouTube show most days, kind of a talk show, goofy talk show thing. Well, the thing about Rhett Link is they used to consider themselves Christians. They were both raised in Christian homes. But now they consider themselves to be agnostics. And they explain their transition away from the church in a series of recent podcasts. I, I didn't get a chance to listen to the conversation. I did read about it, but I didn't get a chance to listen to it because it's like four podcasts long. But I do have a friend of mine who loves them, who's seen them in person. And he and I, and he listened to the podcast. So he and I had a conversation about their loss of faith. And he explained that they became disillusioned by the church. And my response was, well, I can understand leaving the church. The church does some terrible things occasionally. Case in point, by the way, I saw this week that a preacher type said that if China would have turned to Jesus, the coronavirus would have been taken away from them and from us. Which, by the way, is terrible theology and just a downright awful thing to say. When I hear stuff like that, I'm just embarrassed for the church. All right, thanks for letting me vent. Back to Rhett and Link for a minute. So I said to my friend, I can understand them leaving the church, I guess, but leaving Jesus, that just makes me so sad for them. I'll bet a lot of us in this room have friends like that. They need Jesus. They don't even know it. So let me ask you, are you weeping for someone this morning? Are you praying for a friend that they find Jesus? Are you looking for opportunities to share with them? You know, without being a jerk about it, of course. But are you looking for opportunities to share with them? When we weep for lost people, we join none other than the Savior himself weeping for those so caught up in darkness that they don't see that the light of the world has come. You know, all of us weep. Some of us cry more than others. I read this week that women typically cry 30 to 64 times per year, which strikes me as a pretty wide range. But that came from the American Psychiatric Society, so what do I know, right? Men cry between 5 and 17 times a year. Six weak and younger babies cry for almost two and a half hours per day, every day which all you parents of newborns in the room are nodding if you haven't already nodded off because of your lack of sleep. The good news, by the way, is that that crying drops to one hour a day by 12 weeks, so there's that. But regardless of how much we cry, we all cry. It's part of being human. And Jesus was all human, and even though we only have two recorded incidences of him crying, I'll bet there were more. And I'll bet when he he cried, he cried for those he loved, those he loves, including you and me. So if you're weeping today, you stand in good company, no less company than Savior, who loves you and I so much that sometimes he weeps 
and sometimes he smiles, but he always wants the best for us, and he's working for the best for us right now. Will you pray with me? God, I, I don't know where all of us come from. We're all sharing one experience together, this whole coronavirus thing. But I don't know where everybody comes from, but I know this. If we're weeping, you're weeping. If we're struggling, you struggle with us. And you stand with us and you will never let us go. And for that, we're grateful. Amen.